Hello and welcome back to the Leaders in EDR podcast. I'm Giovanni Odega. And I'm Jade Amies. And in this series brought to you by Meta, we shine a light on the progress being made and the challenges being faced in EDI across sport and other industries. Earlier this month marked International Women's Day and we would love to connect with you all in person to discuss how we can embrace equity. So we've arranged a pop-up event at Meta offices on the 30th of March with a speaker lineup that includes Ugo Monnier, Kevin Coleman and Kiki Onawindi Agoro. Please click the link in the description if you'd like to join us. Now, back to the podcast. We've enlisted three EDR leaders to guide you through the stages of how to build execute, monitor and evaluate an EDI strategy to make real tangible impact. First we spoke to Chris Paros in the studio. Chris is an EDI consultant, advisor, charity trustee and non-executive director. We also spoke to Kate Aldridge, EDI director at the ECB and lastly in a virtual interview to Rishi Jane, senior manager of equality, diversity and inclusion at Liverpool FC. In this episode, we'll focus on the second stage of building an EDI strategy, action and implementation. How do you create an action plan? How do you communicate actions to the rest of the organisation? How do you highlight the work that needs to be done while celebrating the steps that have already been made? Over to our experts to answer all these questions and more. We started by asking Chris, how do you define an action plan? If we if we go back to where, if you've got your business case and you've got some evidence, you know, so like how you're going to address that, you need to know what you're addressing and why and be bold about it. And then you have to put something together, I think, collaboratively. We've talked about stakeholders, yeah. understanding what your blockers and barriers might be. And so an action plan is like, okay, so what with all of that, what are the 10 things that we think we need to do on the basis of the evidence of the barriers we've got, all of those kinds of things? There's no point in just writing down a load of things. But the most important thing about an action, whatever those actions are, is like, what are the outcomes that you want? And I know that sounds obvious, but that's got to be the case because there's no point in doing anything unless you've got like some kind of out. Well, actually, no, I just, I'm going to disagree with myself there sometimes. Okay. So <laughs> this, is yeah. a, this is the first. <laughs> Because actually, I believe very passionately that you have to have an outcome planned, but sometimes the journey can be as important as the destination. So that's why I'm disagreeing with myself. And uh, I think the thing is, though, when you're talking about these sorts of things that we're talking about, you have to have some evidence of it. Mm. So I guess in your action plan, even if you don't reach whatever you think the outcome is, there's going to be some other outcome that you go, right, we didn't know it was going to be this but there's this. So actually we might need to do that. If you see what I mean. Um, I think that's important. And to our other two leaders, Kay Aldridge and Rishi Jane, we asked, what is your process for creating an action plan? My, my personal process just involves lots and lots of post-it notes. Um, but the kind of the general approach, if you're looking at an action plan, um, and I'll go into a more technical version of this afterwards, but one, find out where you are. Two, decide where you want to go. Three, design your map to get there. And four, engage people throughout the whole process, not just at the end. So the kind of find out where you are. So one of the first things you do when you're creating an action plan is just pull together all your data, all the research, all the insight that you have and do what we call a gap analysis. So what do you know? 
and where are the gaps in your knowledge. You then kind of try and fill some of those gaps, but you might not be able to do that quickly. And, and it's actually, it's okay to acknowledge that part of your strategy, part of your plan might be that you need to do some research to better understand a certain area. So once you know where you are, you decide where you want to go. And that's about sort of setting your vision. So what does the future look like for you? And then look at, okay, well, what are your, what might your goals, targets, objectives be in that future? And getting really strategy nerdy about it. When you design your actual kind of action plan, uh, we typically use kind of a variation on what's called a V-most. So your vision, mission, objectives, strategy, tactics. And um, you can look that up. It's a very well-documented um, approach for strategies. And what you end up with when you do that is you've got your big vision at the top and you kind of end up with a series of, of pillars or strategies, like four or five, that are your big buckets that all of your actions go underneath. And that kind of gives you a bit of a structure for explaining your plan to people. And the key thing underneath all of that is like, don't forget to build an actual operational plan, which is like, how much is it going to cost? How many people do you need to deliver it? What timelines are you going to deliver it on? What's the real detail behind that? You've said you're going to do this, this tactic, you're going to do this action. Well, what does it actually mean? How are you actually going to do that? And then, as I said, the, the final thing is kind of check, check with people. So throughout that whole process, it's absolutely essential to consult with people. So both the people who will be impacted by the plan, but also those who are going to deliver it. You want to ensure that your plan's informed by expertise in that space. And you also want to make sure that when you deliver it, it will have the impacts that you think it's going to have. So people can help by providing data and insights and research that you didn't know existed. <laughs> Often when you start looking into these things, you unearth all kinds of data in different parts of a, different parts of a business or in different organizations. Um, you can look at kind of like, there's lots of, in sport, like, women's sport trust women in sport like they have they do research and so you can pull that in as useful information for you to use but you also want to engage people with what your vision needs to be what should our targets be do they think those are realistic targets uh, and actions and then you kind of bring that all together and i always think that you you want to be able to explain your strategy on a single page without that many words and if you can't get to that you need to kind of go back and keep trying to simplify. And it's a real sort of editing process. And in the process of writing an action plan, I'll often just rip the whole thing up and just start from a blank sheet of paper again, because you've done a lot of the thinking. So it's all just about how you then communicate it in a way that makes sense to everyone from a kind of a chair and a CEO through to a volunteer who might not be particularly across kind of the details of how a national governing body works and why you want to make sure your strategy is easy to communicate and understand. How I to create an action plan or how I do create an action plan is the strategy at the top. You've got your strategy. Um, you've got your objectives within that. I suppose for me, it's the, the strategy, as I said earlier, is the how to, how are you going to get from A to B? And I suppose the action plan is all the small little nudges that are going to get you there that are going to get you to the how. Um, scribbles, to-do lists, for me, all contributes. Um, my sort of approach with an action plan is very much write it down, understand why we're doing what we're doing, how does it contribute to what we're doing, and then if it does, then make sure we do it and make sure we deliver it. I think the, the biggest key to me having a successful action plan is making sure that it's it's reportable, it's accountable, and actually 
it doesn't solely sit with one individual. It has to be a shared responsibility. Um, and that's what does work well. As, as a team of one, I've got that model both out of design and out of necessity, but actually it's a, it's, a, it's a successful model because you're able to sort of share responsibility, but also it really does empower people. So when we talk about our inclusion networks, the staff, each and every one of them has their own sort of action plan. It's a 24-month action plan in terms of what we want to deliver collectively. Ultimately, all sort of roads lead to me as the, um, as the, as the senior person for ED&I, and that's great, but actually the delivery of that, the formation of that, the delivery of that, the keeping us on track, that is very much a shared responsibility with our colleagues. And for me, that's how you ensure that you've got buy-in across the business, but also it's how people feel like they're really part of the change and they're able to demonstrate that they're part of the change and push for progress. The Leaders Sports Awards are in October, part of Leaders Week London, but the time is now to get your entries in and to be in with a chance of lifting a prestigious Leaders Sports Award at the Natural History Museum later this year. Company categories and Leaders Under 40 nominations are open until Friday the 31st of March. All the information you'll need is available in our nominations guide. You can download that now and check out all of the categories, plus last year's winners, at leadersinsport.com forward slash LSA. Recently, there's been talk about how the responsibility of addressing EDI issues shouldn't sit solely with people of the EDI position, and every person needs to do their part. But how do you ensure that each individual is doing their part? How do they even know what their part is? I think kind of culture plays a really key role here, as I sort of referenced earlier. It's about your values and the behaviours that you reward within your organisation. So does everyone in the organisation view equity, diversity, inclusion as important? And do they view it as a core part of their responsibility? And now what that might look like for somebody who works in a role that's like delivering cricket in the community will be very different to what that looks like for somebody who works in marketing. But do they view the principles behind it as a core part of just how you are good at your job and what you deliver? So kind of at practical level you can look at things like have people been involved in the scoping of the plan or at least when it's launched are they invited to consider how they might incorporate your EDI plan into their day-to-day work make a commitment around one thing that they're going to do differently from it um from an HR perspective, looking at your performance management or your promotion processes, does that reward inclusive behaviours? Does that reward people who have taken that action in this space? Or actually, do you never talk about it? And therefore, why would somebody think it's part of their job and part of their responsibility? I think ideally, in the long run, you'd make sure that EDI forms part of all of your job descriptions and that people have capacity to to kind of to work on that as part of their day to day job, that you set objectives which involve EDI. And now that might be around, again, from a sport perspective, if you work in the participation space, you might set objectives around the percent of girls participating in your program. If you work in marketing or comms, you might look at the diversity of representation within your work. So someone I know works on the BBC's 50-50 campaign. It's not not quite a campaign, but I can't think of a better word right now. But they look at and they measure the diversity of the people represented through their journalism. 
and aiming to get to 50-50. And looking at that through what, what imagery do you use? So you can weave EDI through as a natural part of what everyone does. And a lot of it can also just be having a conversation. So noticing something and saying, some, oh, that's interesting. It doesn't look like we have much female representation on this advertising that we're doing. What can we do to improve that in future? So a lot of it's kind of gentle nudges and changes in behavior. I feel really fortunate to kind of work at an organization where people genuinely care about that. People who work in sport typically are really passionate about the power that sport has to bring communities together, to include people when elsewhere in life they might feel excluded. So I think it's it's actually quite a natural thread that runs through the values of most people who work in sport. And part of the role as an EDI team for me is to help people turn that thing that they care about into action so helping them understand changes that they might be able to make and so a lot of the conversations that I have with colleagues are I want to do something about this but I don't quite know how to can you help me and so for me the role of the EDI team is that expertise and that safe space to have those conversations for people whereby EDI isn't their speciality or or their area of expertise. To be honest, there's many ways you can do that. You can deliver that through external campaigns. We're really lucky to have fantastic buy-in from both managers from the men's and women's setups and multiple players all year round. It's incredible, really, in the fact that we're able to harness these authentic voices and people who genuinely care about ED&I and we can throw a camera on them and they can have these powerful conversations and it's incredible. So actually, that is a really powerful way of impacting change upon people when you see your heroes who you idolize on and off the pitch talking to topics around for example lgbt plus inclusion it does my job makes my job a lot easier i've said that in the past um makes my job a lot easier when you've got incredible voices who genuinely care about certain topics if if you've got a player there talking about why an x subject is so important to them people will automatically go oh well actually if they're involved in it and they support it then i'm gonna have a think maybe how i do it it shouldn't be the way in reality you shouldn't really need a, a someone, a role model or a celebrity to be able to endorse something for you to get on board with the batch. That is sort of the way of the world. Um, and also it helps when you've got these powerful voices who people will stop and listen to. Um, and then also f- from more an internal perspective, my approach is very much, there, there is a bit of role modeling in there. But also it's, it's about empowering people to, to feel like they're contributing from the off. What I, what I won't do is say, right, this is what we're doing full stop and not embrace feedback and criticism. I want that. I want to be surrounded by colleagues who will challenge, disrupt, argue, debate, whatever you want to call it, but actually help me create solutions to, to ensure that our work is, is up there with the very best because that's, a, that's ultimately what we're achieving for on and off the pitch. So actually the, the fact that we've got these inclusion networks with staff, the fact we've got such an engaged workforce across the business, got such an engaged supporters base, the amount of feedback and constructive criticism that you're getting is the more the better. We welcome that because actually that's what will help us to be better as an organisation when it comes to ED&I. It's not about, right, what does Rishi Fancy doing today? It's about what is best for our people and how can we make that better through the diversity of thought and the diverse representation and perspectives that we can gather um, internally and externally. I think it's interesting the concept of business as usual, actually, mm. because I think getting this right means that this is business as usual. So it's like, how do you bake in to everything the fact that you've got this 
whatever this action plan is, right? I mean, I don't know what this like, this our fictional action plan, right? So we're all in this room talking about our fictional action plan and at the core is, I don't know, whatever that one objective is. It's like, okay, the one strategic objective. It's like, okay, well, let's use the one from earlier, like a game free from discrimination. You don't get to go and do business as usual because even if you're the IT person, it's like, okay, you're building some system when you are doing your drop down menu for the title because you're going to register a player, have you just got Mr. and Mrs.? Well, if you have, you're opening out, and that's more about inclusion than discrimination. But so that's, you've got your role to play in that all the time. And if you've really understood that and your team's understood that, business as usual, that becomes baked into your business as usual. I think there's something important in that. And it's one of the things that I, I'll do with my clients is sometimes I can be an extra pair of hands because okay. I go and do stuff and I'll be like, okay, right, what do we need to do? I'll come and work on that, literally work this project with you because you're under-resourced. Mm -hmm. And then other times it's like, okay, you need someone to help you define this project or you don't even know what the question is yet. You just know there's a problem. So let's work through the problem and figure out what the key questions are. Yeah. And so- I think that's important. And then within that, if we're going back to the action plan, it's like, okay, so whether we are defining a project or defining a question, you've got to figure out like literally every department, you know, and I'm not talking about writing it on the wall. I'm talking about like it just being baked into what everyone's doing. It's like, okay, this is a core objective for us. And it's hard. It's like, even if it wasn't EDI, businesses can struggle to make sure they keep a strategic focus. But the best businesses really do. I'll use a, a, a silly analogy, but like, okay, my uncle runs a CAF, right? CAF does all right. Sits down and thinks, I really need to like refocus, right? So you think strategically, you're like, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on doing three things really well rather than having a calf with a brilliantly big menu. If someone says, you only do egg, beans and chips, I need egg, beans and chips and sausage. It's like, no, no, we do the best egg, beans and chips or whatever. I don't know, what, like whatever that is. But guess what? You do that really, really well. You're going to make loads more money than if you try to do a million things all right. Because you will be well known for being the best calf in the area. Oh, I used to work in Hoburn. There was one calf. It was jam-packed all the time. It's because they only did a few things and they focused on their market being cab drivers. So it's like six black cabs lined up outside, always packed. Now that is a deliberate, whether those business owners like were deliberate about it, I bet they were, you know, that was like a strategic focus for that sort of business outcome. So... I guess my point there is, is like, be really deliberate about it and make sure, and everyone's got to be on board with it. You can't have someone else coming and going, oh no, but I really thought this, saw these really nice sausages. It's like, no, sausages were last year. You might've done a really good line in sausages last year, but actually this year we're focusing on this and it's all of us, all of us. We also wanted to know where each EDI leader's personal focus sits between highlighting work that needs to be done in the EDI space and celebrating the steps that have already been made. It's something I've been reflecting on quite a lot over the last couple of months. And so one of the most common phrases you'll hear about EDI is that it's a journey. And it's a cliche, but it's also true. So you will never be done. You'll never complete it. You'll never get 100% and just be able to put it down and, and not touch it again. So 
for me, balancing both of those two truths at the same time is key. You've made progress and that's great, but there's more to be done and you probably need to go further and you need to go faster. And that's very much just the paradox of working in EDI that both of those things can be true at the same time. Complete balance of the two has to be, has to be. I'm all for, and you have to point out where work needs to be done, that you have to, because, but at the same time, you need to celebrate your successes. And everyone's successes look different. Some organisations, it might be for the first time where we've managed to celebrate X campaign or get a player to do X campaign. And it's amazing. It's the first time you've done it. And they should rightly be applauded for that because that's a big milestone for the organisations. That's their bread and butter. And they've been doing that for years. And that's also fine. They have different challenges. But I think what we can't do is get into the danger, sort of get into the sort of fall into the trap of comparing organisations and going, well, if X club does this, X club should do this because we're all different organisations and that's fine. In the sports industry and football industry, it's so diverse in terms of the businesses and the way that they run um, and the way that they operate and that's completely fine. But actually, we're all very much, and this is super cheesy, we're all very much on a different diversity journey. Um, so for me, I'm very much around the balance of celebrate the successes, make sure people can... You can demonstrate progress, but I'm always of the train of thought is there is always more that we can do. You will never hear me be on a stage or be in a podcast or speak to anyone externally or internally and go, right, we're done. We've completed X task or X part of equality because it's just not a thing. It's just not a thing. One one day, maybe, maybe I'll talk myself out of a job and we'll be done. Um, We've got a long way to go. And as an organisation, we've got absolutely low as it were committed to still go at and that's really important and I think as an industry as a sports sector as a society there will always be something there'll always be a topic that we should go at and we need for me it's really important that people acknowledge that while celebrating the successes that get us closer to maybe being able to demonstrate progress in certain areas and lastly we asked our EDI leaders how do you communicate the next steps and the things to celebrate to your wider organization Within the organisation, sort of sharing what is happening is a 24 7, 365 day a year piece. We've obviously got internal methods to be able to do that. There's emails, there's updates, there's networks, there's external activity. To be honest, it isn't really a one size fits all. Um, and that's great. So there's a constant stream of internal communications and messaging around what we're doing, why we're doing it, how people, and really importantly, how people can contribute to that work in the future. Because what you want to be able to do is say, we're doing this webinar because of this topic if you fancy it join if you want to be part of this come and join the network and be part of the conversation come and help us reach out let's be part of that um and again it works differently in different organizations some organizations really benefit from a, a weekly edni highlights newsletter and some clubs do brilliant work around that for for us it's a continual conversation around what has happened then just make it for us it's very much part of the norm um, it's integrated and embedded throughout everything that we do um, rather than just being sort of siloed. But that's, again, if that works for an organisation, then brilliant. For us, the approach of where it's part of everything also works really well. But we do have our own identity to our obviously have our own strategy. So then that helps us just like help people identify, OK, this is part of Red Together. I get why I'm being asked to do this or this is part of this programme. Um, and that also works really well. So it's part of the wider comms, but still obviously always has that nod to our overall EDI strategy. 
when it then kind of comes to communicating it, you sort of need to think about your different audiences and what they're interested in and what is relevant to them. So for some of our stakeholders, when you're looking at perhaps government or Sport England, they might want to understand a bit more that we know the distance that we need to travel. Uh, we, we have a plan to get there. And then also they'll be interested in the really hard evidence, the data and the impact that you are having and how you are moving on in that journey. Whereas if you take, say, cricket fans or recreational players or volunteers, uh, kind of grassroots level, they might be interested in some of the data and some of the impact, but actually they might be more inspired by the real life stories that reflect their experiences. And you can tell those stories by focusing on the change that needs to happen, but also the positive change that is happening. And I think finding the delicate balance between the two is key. So we focus a lot on the human aspect in our EDI storytelling. So sort of showcasing the diversity of the game through real people and their real cricket communities. And those real life stories are representative of people from lots of different backgrounds who play cricket in lots of different ways. And we kind of use those stories to hopefully role model and inspire other people to come and get involved. You know from your own kind of personal motivation that nothing, like if you just berate somebody, there's not really great incentive to change. So for me, part of it is balancing that these things need to change and we need to get better with some of the joy that comes with EDI. So the joy of inclusion and how brilliant it is and celebrating diversity and celebrating how wonderful it is to work with colleagues who have all different kinds of life experiences and how much better that makes your projects and how much better that makes the outcomes. So it's a real delicate balance and you have to kind of continually look at it and look at how whether you're weighting one side too heavily or not. Um, but yeah, I, I firmly, I, it can be a really challenging space to work in, EDI, but I firmly believe like there's a lot of joy to be found in there as well when you get it right and when when inclusion is working and when you're creating cultures that are really welcoming, that can be wonderful and brilliant to experience. Sort of going back to talking about some of the things in women's sport, like when it works, celebrate some of the joy behind that. And then where it's not working, look really hard at what you're going to do to fix that and be really open and honest about that. Yeah, I mean, um, inclusion in particular, I feel like issues of inclusion that affects literally everyone, um, not even necessarily underrepresented. Like, so that kind of organisational culture piece, that's something that everyone can benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... There's, there's so many different types of diversity. So we've sort of been looking more recently at a kind of inherent diversity alongside acquired diversity. So um, my, my inherent diversity might be that I'm female, but acquired diversity might be for someone that they're a carer or they're a parent or they have military experience or something's happened in their life that means they have, they've lived abroad so they have better understanding of different cultures. So whilst you could look at somebody and they might not feel, they might say you could take a, a white man who's not disabled 
they might not feel like the EDI space is is for them, but it so is. And so the inclusion aspect is so important. It's, it, if you have it, in, you can't have inclusion without including everybody there. So looking at the different experiences that everyone has had and how you bring those together, whilst also recognizing you will need to deliver targeted initiatives for underrepresented groups or people who will have had real experiences of exclusion. Kind of again, so much of EDI is balancing lots of different truths at the same time. So I think it's, yeah, an inclusive culture benefits everybody. It's not just a thing that will benefit women. Like it will, everyone benefits from a more inclusive culture and everyone benefits from a more diverse workforce and a more equitable and fair workforce. A lot of the work that you introduce, if you look at introducing fairer and more transparent promotion processes, that benefits everybody. And and, and again, for me, that that's one of the key aspects of EDI, of it's not only for us, a certain group of people, it, a fairer world benefits everyone. And that brings us neatly to the end of this episode of the Leaders and EDI podcast. We'll see you next week where we'll be talking about measurement and evaluation. Thank you all for listening and thank you to our guests Chris, Kate and Rishi and to our diversity series partners Meta, Prime Video, IMG, Wasserman, Nielsen, Team Marketing and Delta Trade. For helping us to bring to you the leaders in EDI podcast. We'll see you next week.